I remember the rumbling. It felt like a freight train. And it goes on for a while, maybe 15. The tornado tore through our small town like a giant weed whack. More than a million miles of roadways, more than 650,000 bridges, which are not in a good condition. This is Design Safe Radio, where natural hazards researchers strive to make our society more resilient to everything nature throws at us. Today on the 36th episode of Design Safe Radio, the show that talks about everything nature has to throw at us and how scientists are working to make our society more resilient. Next time you're on a road trip, count how many bridges you go over. How many of them do you think are structurally deficient? Probably more than you think. (laughs) Our guest today is on the front lines of inspecting and prioritizing the repair of our nation's infrastructure with innovative test methods that he and his team developed in partnership with the Nary site, UT at Austin. I'm your host, Dan Zaner, from the Natural Hazards Engineering Research Infrastructure Network Coordination Office at Purdue University, and this is Design Safe Radio. Uh, my name is Nenad Gutsunski. I'm professor and chair at civil, of civil and environmental engineering at Radgers University. Um, I am primarily teaching courses in the area of geotechnical engineering. However, my research is in a little bit of different areas, which I hope we will have an opportunity to discuss later. Uh, speaking about my um, academic background, I also had some a few years of experience in academia in Croatia. I was a research assistant and lecturer for about five years at the regional university, where I was primarily teaching courses in mechanics and structural engineering. Excellent. Well, okay? welcome, uh, Nenad. Thank you for, for being on today. This is it's a excellent to be able to talk to you. Uh, Want to hear some more about your background? You, you've got a really interesting story. So, what what led you to uh, this this career in civil engineering and, and academia, and, and to move to the U.S. from all the way over in Croatia? Uh, well, I am probably not very different from many others who pursued civil engineering. Probably my the roots of my interest uh, go all the way back to my childhood, where I can say is that if I can think about something, what I liked to do, it was about building things, whether this was uh, using Legos or rail and car racing models at home or finding any other materials outside to build bridges, tunnels and so on. But maybe what was uh, a little bit uh, special and uh, what I probably attribute my primary interest from childhood was that I had fascinations with buildings. Uh, I still remember how I was looking into those encyclopedia and was fascinated by Roman Colosseums or Taj Mahal from distant past, or maybe from a more recent past uh, with Golden Gate Bridge, Hoover Dam or Empire State. Uh, And I would also say that I was very much fascinated by the work of some uh, modern architects we can say those architects from 40s and 50s, like Courbisier or Frank Lloyd Wright. So in general, I can say is that I'm my a big Frank Lloyd Wright interest, fan as well. <laughs> yes. So in general, my interests were in building things, and um, and I probably faced at one point uh, a little bit of challenges. 
uh, I'm really interested in, am I really interested in architecture or in civil engineering? And fortunately, I had the help from uh, one practicing engineer who asked me a very simple question is, how well you are doing uh, your math and science projects? And how is your artistic side? I was pretty sure about uh, my strong math and science side, but I could say is that, I'm sorry, I have too little uh, 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 little examples to speak a little bit about my artistic side. So that ultimately led my decision to pursue civil engineering. And um, uh, uh, immediately after I finished my bachelor's degree in Croatia, I started working as a practicing engineer at the company Institute of Croatia, that was uh, a company or institute which was providing support to industry in design and consulting and also in quality assurance, quality control in different projects. Um, I was there for one year and during that year I soon uh, realized that uh, I, am, I can probably see what is going to be my job and I I didn't like the prospects. I would say that my <laughs> curiosity and, and interest in, in constant learning new things uh, pushed me to look for a job uh, that, would, that would be such. And uh, I would say a very natural uh, target was going to academia. Um, and yes, you asked me about how did it happen that I came to the United States considering that I had a position in academia in Croatia. I would say that it came uh, by pure luck, and I would say twice. Uh, the first uh, point of luck was uh, I applied for Fulbright grant for graduate studies in the US. And uh, while I was good or excellent student, uh, I was still uh, a little bit stunned that I was selected among so many candidates in all disciplines of science and engineering. So from uh, three grants, uh, which were given to at that time to Croatia, I was really fortunate to get that grant, came to the University of Michigan for my master's study and came back. So that was my first uh, uh, luck. The second luck was that sometime in, um, I would say late 86, 87, as I was already, so to say, continuing to build my academic career in Croatia and was involved in my doctoral program, uh, came a, a letter from uh, Professor Richard Woods from the University of Michigan, who, in a way, teased me a little bit. Uh, he had a very interesting project and felt that I would be probably the right person to help him in conducting that research project and asked me whether I would be interested in coming back for my doctoral studies. Uh, I was certainly very much uh, honored by, uh, uh, by this letter from Professor Woods and it really didn't take long for me to get back to the University of Michigan. So this is how it came uh, that I came to the US and uh, once I graduated at the University of Michigan, the opportunity to join Rutgers came and, and that is the start of the story. Wow, that's excellent. It's a uh... Always good to see another Big Ten connection as well. <laughs> so uh, that is correct, and I'm glad that Rutgers joined Big Ten. Um, what is now four years ago? Yeah, it seemed uh, kind of uh, kind of amazing at the time, but they, they've really it's really fit in pretty pretty well. 
yes um yes it is um uh, you know i'm really glad you know that um that my roots um at uh, Big Ten uh, at the University of Michigan are now continuing at uh, Rutgers University. Yeah, absolutely. So, so when you joined uh, the the faculty at Rutgers, uh, what were your your areas of, of a primary research interest, and, uh, and and how has that changed over time? Um, Yes, if I would look back into my uh, about 27 years of uh, work at Rutgers, I would say is that my research interests were very diverse and they have definitely been changing over time. Um, at today, I would describe that my primary interests are related to the condition assessment of transportation infrastructure using non-destructive evaluation or non-destructive testing technologies. But I still have some other interests, and those are related to problems of dynamic soil structure interaction, to uh, the use of seismic methods for characterization of soil systems. And uh, I would say throughout um, uh, the genesis of my research at Rutgers, I would say is I had interest in numerical simulations of soil structure systems. Hmm. So when you say uh, the seismic um, characterization of soil structure systems, can you unpack that a little bit? Uh, what uh, what does that topic actually entail? Well, this really is uh, stemming from um, my doctoral research at the University of Michigan, uh, which was related to the use of surface waves in characterization of, of soils. So basically uh, obtaining modulus profile of any kind of uh, site. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you are familiar, but uh, the uh, what was of primary, or you may say the first method which uh, really got interest of geotechnical engineers was uh, spectral analysis of surface waves, which was initially developed at University of Texas at Austin. And so uh, when I joined in the University of Michigan is uh, there were uh, there were a number of aspects of these methods which could be improved and so at that time I was very much interested in one aspect then and this is how we can use to do our explorations um, fairly deep and uh, so that was one of the goals. So after I have um, completed my um, doctoral studies I have still continued to work on uh, further development of the SSW method which today has, uh, uh, you may say, evolved into a number of other methods and probably one of the most uh, most commonly used today is MSW method. Interesting. So, so you're basically taking uh, either vibrations from a, an earthquake itself or, or simulating a, a particular kind of wave using uh, a shaker truck or some other excitation device to characterize uh, a particular site is that kind of what you do well that is that is correct uh, uh, we can probably use many sources uh, from regular hammers uh, to big shakers to even ambient noise uh, ambient mm -hmm. noise to uh, ambient noise to uh, use them as uh, generators of surface waves. And uh, then what we do is uh, we have simply strategically placed sensors which are capturing um, 
arrival of those waves and depending on what kind of analysis approach we are primarily looking into uh, the velocity of those waves from which we can infer what must be the profile to match this kind of velocity of propagation. Hmm. Okay. So what would you say are some of your um, kind of biggest findings in your, in your research so far um, in this area uh, that, uh, that people would be interested in hearing about? Um, well, I would say that probably the, uh, the most important um, findings was, um, um, I would say, at the earliest stage of this work where I, in a way, demonstrated in a way how we can, um, we can, by looking into, so to say, different modes of propagation, how we can how we can describe, are we talking about uh, soil systems where um, we can describe it as a system of regular stratification. And when I say regular stratification, it means that we have in general increase of the stiffness with the depth, which is reasonable to expect because of uh, higher confinement with the depth. Or we are having uh, maybe are we testing maybe a system which is of what I call irregular stratification, where you can say is that you have maybe a stiffer layer above a softer layer. And so um, if I were to describe uh, the contribution, so it was really looking into how we can use this information from different modes to more accurately describe. And also in a way, uh, a little bit different approach is how we can conduct our testing, uh, whether we should use information uh, through uh, what we call individual receiver spacing or whether we should use the information as some propagation from a number of sensors. Oh, cool. Inter that's really interesting. Um, it, it, this testing method is, you know, as a kind of looking at your research background a little bit, is not just applicable to geotechnical engineering, but also some some other areas of research that you're interested in, like transportation infrastructure. So how how did you make that transition from from geotechnical to transportation, um, and uh, what are you currently looking at there? Well, uh, you know, this transition was uh, in a way very natural. And sometimes I like to, to joke is that uh, when um, I was a doctoral student, uh, part of my work was this, this real effort, how we, can, how we can evaluate our systems as deep as possible. And what happened as I joined Rutgers was that I was uh, moving in the opposite direction is how we can move our, how we can evaluate our systems as shallow as possible. So once I have joined the Rutgers is I, uh, I would say several years after I joined, I recognized that, that there are tremendous needs and opportunities in the area of transportation engineering. And the first area was related to the evaluation of payment systems. So payments are nothing else again, another layer system similar to, to soils. So that is where we started uh, working on some projects for New Jersey Department of Transportation. And then as we were presenting some of the results of our work and spoke to, uh, spoke to the people from bridge division of New Jersey Department of Transportation, they also recognized that some of these technologies could be used in the assessment of, for example, concrete bridge decks. And so this was 
uh, what we can say the evolution from um, you may say is uh, geotechnical application of surface wave testing to payments and finally bridges. Oh wow, that's that's really interesting. I mean, and very timely, especially because uh, you know a lot of uh, our listeners are probably aware our. Our infrastructure in this country is not in the greatest of shape, <laughs> so it's good to have uh, researchers like yourself who are, are doing this important work of characterizing, uh, you know, where to invest in infrastructure improvement and and things like that. Um, yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, just um, um, there are tremendous opportunities related to our transportation infrastructure. You know, simply uh, uh, the numbers. Uh, about that infrastructure that we are talking about, uh, more than 4 million miles of roadways or more than 615,000 bridges, which are not in a good condition. As I believe that um, uh, pretty much all your audience is very well aware about ASC report cards, which have given road, our roads D grade or bridges C plus grade. Uh, which certainly reflect the condition of that uh, of that infrastructure. So, and also what was uh, probably discussed very much in our political arena was about reinvestment into that infrastructure. Um, we can probably talk just for roadways and bridges that we have a backlog of uh, on the order of half a trillion to a trillion. Uh, so that is the money which is needed just for improvements from the wow. repair and upgrade of existing highways and bridges to what we can say some, um, I would not describe major, but minor system expansions and enhancements. So uh, one of, and how this is all related to what we do is um, uh, for us, the first question is, uh, will this money for improvement of our bridges and roadways is going to come? And if so, will there be continued support um, so where what we do fits in is that we can think we can help in the case that uh, there will be a little bit uncertain continued support, because the only way how you can operate well under such condition, condition is by improving management of the infrastructure. And that uh, management can, can be good only if it is based on accurate data accurate data about its condition. Mm. So that is that is where, for example, uh, condition assessment using uh, non-destructive evaluation technologies fits in. Yeah, that's, that's really important. And, and the, the non-destructive part is, of course, kind of the uh, one of the most important pieces of that is uh, what will work you're doing is not harming the, the bridge structure or the roadway or, or whatever you're, you're measuring, right? Uh, yes, that is correct. So non-destructive evaluation, yes, really means is like uh, whatever we are doing, we are evaluating structures uh, by using technologies um, um, which are not doing any kind of sampling. They are, they are not uh, introducing um, any damage uh, to it. And uh, we have made significant advances in how we are evaluating our infrastructure in the past 30 years years so for example if we would speak about roadways that we can say that today we can do a number of things at highway speeds for example we can uh, make distress surveys using imaging uh, we have been doing for probably more than 20 years uh, laser profiling for smoothness of 
our payments. So we are using ground penetrating radars for payment profiling. Or let's say very recently, we have started using uh, traffic speed uh, deflectometers, which at highway speed are really looking into or are conducting structural evaluation of our payments. Wow. And and uh, there were similar advances on the bridge side, but I would say is that on the bridge side, we still have uh, a lot of space to improve uh, our assessment uh, with respect to both data collection speed, with respect to accuracy of the, of the collected data, and also the quality of information we are extracting from those data. Mm. So is that is that kind of your main uh, thrust of innovation is how to improve um, the rapid data collection on, on bridge uh, structures? Yes, that is, that is correct. Yes, um, I would say is we um, we are really uh, investing a lot into um, increase of speed of data collection and um, uh, we have been doing we have been doing. Um, data collection on bridges now for probably almost 20 years and um, the greatest part of our work concentrated on the assessment of uh, concrete bridge decks on bridges um, somebody might ask why uh, concrete bridge decks and uh, there are multiple reasons but the main two reasons are that concrete bridge decks uh, because of their direct exposure to both traffic and environmental loads they deteriorate faster than all other bridge bridge components and we have as a part of federal highway administration's uh, long-term bridge performance program we had an opportunity to speak to probably more than about uh, 30 state department of transportations uh, from all of those discussions, so we have learned that uh, from all of the monies they have at their disposal for maintenance, repair, and rehabilitation of bridges, that they are spending anywhere between 50 and 80% of, of those monies towards concrete bridge decks. Wow. So making, making some changes in this domain would probably have the highest impact. So... As I said, is we have been uh, working on um, the evaluation of concrete bridge decks for many years. Um, uh, it uh, for many years it was using manual technologies, and uh, how does it look when we go and do evaluation by uh, using manual technologies? Is we bring a team of five or six and the technicians, we mark a grid fast and and. Um, uh, the, then we collect the data, which are typically, you may say, production rates of uh, 1,000 square feet per hour. So um, uh, while, uh, you know, it might seem to be a lot, the six, uh, five to 10 square feet of bridge deck area, it means that you will probably spend a day or two assessing uh, this bridge deck. And uh, you can imagine that... Um, wow by staying on a bridge for one or two days is uh, there are a number of indirect costs. So there are costs associated with uh, having traffic control. There are costs to the users because you have traffic traffic interruptions. And, and certainly one of, uh, one of the main points why there was also interest on our side in developing um, automated technologies was the safety 
while we are taking all of those precautions, you may say that whenever we have traffic control, it is following all of the rules. The work on a bridge is always inherently having some risks. Yeah, especially bridges who are, you know, already been identified through other other evaluation methods as being in, uh, you know, possibly poor condition <laughs> working on those uh, bridges. In, I mean, probably increases that risk. Um, that is, uh, yes, yes, that is, that is correct. That, um, so, you know, when, go ahead. Oh, no, go, go ahead. Um, yeah, what I, I wanted to say is um, a great part of, uh, you know, the work, let's say, especially when we are dealing with, uh, with the detrition of concrete bridge decks, it is really an issue of, I would describe primarily economics, a little bit less safety. Yes, when you are dealing with uh, with some other components, with substructure or superstructure, uh, then yes, you can say is that uh, there are significant issues related also to the safety. Uh, so structural integrity of the structure with concrete bridge decks, it is really about economics. Is, so how do we extend the life of uh, this bridge component with... Um, with minimal costs. Yeah, that's a good point, and and also a good segue to another area of your research is um, is looking at those structural components and how those are are different from the decks in terms of uh, your evaluation methods. Can you speak to that as well? Uh, yes, uh, yes, we have. Um, uh, we can say is that we have um, we have used um, you may say pretty much the same group of technologies on other on other um, on other components of bridges whether we are talking about substructure or superstructure you may say that in general uh, you may say uh, concerns are very similar so we are interested in issues related to corrosion of uh, components we are interested in delamination we are interested in concrete degradation but with um, but when we are talking about um, these other components, we might also sometimes face a little bit specific issues. For example, when we are talking about uh, uh, post-tangent girders or, or pre-stressed girders, then we might be dealing with issues of uh, grouting of post-tensioning ducts, uh, corrosion and breakage of pre-stressing uh, strands. Mm -hmm. And in that case, we might uh, use uh, technologies which um, we typically do not use in evaluation of concrete bridge decks, like, for example, ultrasonic pulse echo, ultrasonic tomography, magnetic flux leakage, and so on. You talked a lot about some of the key ways that uh, you know we, as a as, as humans, have have made the best of uh, the concrete material, those these post-tensioning and pre-tensioning kind of members. Um, can you talk a little bit more about kind of how, how those work and why they're so important to a bridge structure? Uh, it's kind of come to light as um, over the past week or so, uh, there was a, a you know, major um, bridge incident down in Florida, and that's kind of come to light about the importance of uh, the construction methods with these bridges that include post-tension concrete. Can you talk a little bit about why those structures are, are part of the bridge? Um, yes, sure. Um, well, uh, uh, 
you may say is that uh, with, this, uh, with respect to the superstructure is, um, um, if we can speak about um, uh, primary structural elements in most bridges, is those are either steel structures, so steel girders, or those are reinforced concrete structure, which are today, you may say almost exclusively, those are either post-tensioned or they are pre-stressed elements. So um, there are certainly some differences between uh, those is when we are talking about pre-stressed structures. So what in that case we have is that uh, pre-stressed structure would be prefabricated in uh, whatever facility and they will be delivered and uh, simply assembled. In the case of post-engineering structures, uh, uh, this is what we can see is that um, those structures can be put in place and then um, uh, post-engineering is done uh, on the site, uh, depending on whatever is construction sequence. So some of the issues which are related to those structures is, um, for example, uh, when we are dealing with um, post-tensioning structures, uh, like the one that was at Florida International University campus, is that uh, those uh, post-tensioning cables, they are, they are uh, inside casing where, or duct, where you may say is for their longevity, for protection against corrosion, and they are, those ducts are typically grouted. And so, uh, in uh, the case of some older structures, we are, uh, the owners are very much interested is if they have started to observe some issues is uh, whether grouting, uh, whether there are signs of corrosion and uh, if there are signs of the cor corrosion, which, what are the primary causes? And very often, for example, uh, uh, the primary reason why there was corrosion was that those ducts were not properly grouted and mm. uh, which ultimately led to intrusion of moisture and chlorides and salts and uh, which um, you may say accelerated corrosion. And those um, those post-tensioning cables are, they're really there to just take advantage of the inherent properties of concrete, right? That where it's strong in compression and kind of weaker in, in tension. So those cables are there to keep the the concrete itself and compression, right? Yes, that is absolutely right. Yes, it is. Uh, it is in a way uh, changing uh, the way how the forces are being transferred, and by simply applying this additional compressive force, uh, you may say you are also uh, minimizing potential for cracking because uh, this uh, the the element is always in uh, the state of compression. So if in other, like in any just regular reinforced concrete element, um, uh, if you would have tendency to formation of some cracks, especially in uh, tensile zones, here it is prevented through uh, post-tensioning. And we know very well that uh, deterioration is primarily accelerated because of formation of cracks. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I wanted to, to kind of transition a little bit into um, uh, some of your more recent research work. Uh, you've been working on an NSF Eager project with uh, the Nary facility at UT Austin, their their shaker truck fleet. And I was uh, wondering if you tell us a bit about that project and uh, kind of how it fits into the uh, the rest of the Nary uh, infrastructure and mission. 
Uh, yes, certainly. Um, um, well, uh, this project, uh, it is titled Informing Infrastructure Decisions Through Large Amplitude uh, Post Vibrations. Um, I could probably go a little bit to the genesis of uh, the project is um, uh, we, not just myself, but also some of my colleagues here at Rutgers, uh, we have known very well about some of the wonderful resources at University of Texas Austin Experimental Facility, which is a part of MIRI's uh, system. Um, I, uh, the facility at uh, University of Texas has, um, I think, five large dynamic shakers. Uh, which were used for many years, uh, primarily in uh, geotechnical applications. So some of uh, the devices like uh, with very fancy names, T-Rex, Liquidator, Raptor, Rattler, and so on. Um, they have been used uh, to prim uh, primarily to evaluate geotechnical systems to do what I described earlier, modulus profiling, but in some cases also to uh, to characterize various uh, uh, geotechnical systems, embankments, dams, and so on for potential uh, anomalies in the structure. So what we felt was that, uh, and because of our interest also in the dynamic performance of structures, what we somehow use this uh, fantastic resource at University of Texas maybe to extend the use of these shakers in the assessment of structures in a way better understand and um, can better predict the performance of some of those structures under extreme events like earthquakes. So, uh, so ultimately when we received uh, this project as uh, NSF eager project um, where eager stands like early concept grant for exploratory research um, uh, in that, in our proposal, uh, what we outlined was that uh, what we are trying to do is we are trying to explore and establish the ability of these large shakers uh, to, re to reveal the current performance of some of our structures and also in a way to see whether we can, by evaluating those structures, also in a way predict uh, their performance under some future events. One of um, very important elements in our proposal was that we would that we are especially interested in the assessment of the significance of dynamic uh, soil structure interaction effects. Cool. Okay, so you're looking at uh, something similar to, um, in, or but in a different way, as uh, one of our our previous guests from UC. UCLA, excuse me, um, Scott Brandenburg, who does uh, similar um, studies of dynamic soil structure interaction with uh, <clears throat> geotechnical centrifuge modeling, but you're looking at this on full-scale real-world structures using using the shakers. Uh, that is that is correct. Yes, we we um, ultimately wanted in a way to go and um, and evaluate real structures. Uh, because we can say is that, yes, this is as realistic as uh, you can do since uh, you have your structure on its foundation on uh, unlimited soil system. So, um, uh, and uh, finally, it is, it is full scale. 
Yeah, so, so you've got all those complexities of the, the real soil system of the uneven layers and grain sizes and biological matter and influences and all of that mixed in um, that you've spent, you know, the past couple of decades characterizing and now are able to look at the interaction of structure with that complex system. Uh, yes, that is that is correct. Yes, it is true that, you know, as a part of um, of our uh, study, we we went uh, through some ideal conditions. So, uh, the, for example, the first part of our study was uh, a parametric study where we, in a way, uh, first of all, is wanted in a way to examine what is the correlation between um, some measurable responses, so responses which were of interest to us, whether those were responses of uh, foundations of structures or superstructure, um, and um, uh, how, for example, uh, characteristics or types of soil, foundation, substructure, and superstructure can um, affect the overall response. So we have done quite a lot of work uh, where we had some of those ideal conditions where we have looked into the influence of some parameters uh, from, uh, let's say, soil foundation, um, frequency dependent properties. So these are so what we call uh, impedances to what kind of uh, substructure type uh, we have, um, what is the slenderness ratio when we speak about slenderness ratio, it represents uh, height to uh, width ratio of a structure. We know very well from previous theoretical studies that, for example, the buildings uh, that are much, uh, let's say, uh, relatively tall with respect to the width of the building, that they are going to have far more pronounced uh, soil structure interaction effects than, for example, uh, you may say, re relatively low buildings. So, uh, what we, uh, so, we had some ideal conditions where we wanted to examine a number of the parameters, but uh, nothing could replace in a way uh, uh, evaluating what is happening in the field. So the second part um, of our, our research was very much related to the field implementation and validation of what we have examined through various uh, parametric studies using numerical simulation of structures. So maybe it, uh, I, I should also mention this, that uh, while we had this very general interest to assess uh, structures, so we are talking about anything from uh, uh, multi-story buildings to something with what could be applied to power plants and other structures, we also recognized for the actual field implementation, we need to have a structures where we can actually bring one of those huge shakers from the University of Texas, from Neary facility. And uh, because of that, what we have done is we have uh, pretty much in advance, uh, we have figured out is that the only structure which can be, which can accommodate these shakers are bridges. Mm, yeah, that's those shakers are uh, are pretty immense. I mean, uh, I've seen oh, I can't remember which one it was. I think it was Liquidator up close, and it's almost the size of a school bus. To put it in perspective for those who haven't seen it yet, <laughs> it's it's pretty big. Yes, yes, they are uh, they are huge. Um, I forgot what is their weight, but we are probably talking about something on the order of twenty to thirty tons. 
So uh, they are very big uh, structure, uh, very big uh, vehicles. And uh, for example, what we selected for our testing was T-Rex. Um, uh, T-Rex was selected large amplitude shaking, uh, but also because of the ability to induce vibrations in all three directions. And mm. we really wanted to evaluate our bridge by shaking it in all three. Yeah, that's a really, really good point, and especially about uh, some of the different capabilities of those those trucks. They all have slightly different ways of, of shaking and and different uh, capabilities. But uh, yeah, T Rex is is the largest of uh, of the five, and so you use the that capability to reconfigure to shake not just vertically but but horizontally. Um, what did you find out by doing uh, that shaking in the different directions? Yes, well, we can say is while uh, we had this capability to evaluate in all three directions, we can say is that uh, we were primarily interested in uh, two motions. The first one was certainly vertical motion, so applying, uh, inducing vertical shaking. And uh, the second one is what we can describe as swaying, so by shaking the bridge out of the plane of the bridge. The third uh, mode of shaking, uh, uh, which was in the longitudinal direction of the bridge was probably of a lesser interest. And uh, we certainly had a little bit uh, concern about how we could, for example, match our numerical models with actual field testing, because very often you find, for example, bearings on the bridges that they are frozen. And uh, it's really hard to uh, say that uh, you are describing uh, that what you are capturing during field testing is uh, something what you had in your numerical model. Now, with respect to um, uh, with respect to why we have selected uh, these three directions, is uh, the one uh, in the vertical direction is uh, probably what you can say is the closest in terms of how you would characterize a bridge with respect to how it is going to respond to regular traffic loads. But when, when we talk about uh, swaying, so uh, shaking the bridge out of the plane of the bridges, so um, that is the one where we probably have uh, the most concern when we are talking about, for example, earthquake loads. And um, these are also the modes where we can say is that we can probably understand uh, the best what is the significance of dynamic soil structure interaction. Because when you are swaying bridge uh, out of the plane of the bridges, you will have a very significant uh, rocking component. So rotation about the horizontal axis. And, mm. uh, and this is what we in particular wanted to capture. So did you achieve your uh, anticipated outcomes of the, the study by doing this uh, shaking in the three directions? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I would say is um, I think that um, we had uh, by using uh, T-Rex, which was positioned, for example, on a bridge. Um, uh, and I would like at this point to acknowledge uh, New Jersey Department of Transportation, which allowed us to get on the bridge. Uh, you can imagine that it was not uh, very easy to find a bridge owner uh, who would be, so to say, brave enough. Uh, because it is a little bit, you know, nobody had previous experience in uh, bringing a big shaker on, on a bridge. 
So we have approached a number of entities in New Jersey in a way to, to find uh, somebody. Ideally, it would be a bridge which is out of service. Uh, unfortunately, we were not able to get um, approvals for a few candidate bridges, but we, are, we were very grateful to New Jersey Department of Transportation that they said, yes, we are very much interested in a way in uh, the results of this study. And they provided us access to this bridge in Hamilton Township. Um, so we have conducted this uh, testing. So um, what uh, what what uh, what we can describe at the moment preliminary results? Yes, we had wonderful opportunity to um, bring T-Rex on the bridge to uh, collect the data. Um, for T-Rex in different positions on the bridge, in the middle of the bridge, in the middle of a span, uh, for shaking of that bridge, as I said, is in multiple directions at multiple load levels. For example, this interest in multiple load levels was we, in a way, wanted to see can are we inducing, are we are we seeing some non-linearities in the response, uh, and. Um, Finally, we, uh, we wanted uh, to see uh, how the bridge is going to respond under different frequencies of loading. So when we conducted these surveys um, uh, or these tests, uh, T-Rex was conducting basically what we can describe as frequency sweeps, where we have varied our loading all of the way from 80 hertz down to as low as one hertz. And uh, during wow. that test, during that test, we were capturing uh, the response not just of the bridge uh, through a series of geophones and accelerometers, uh, but also we were capturing the response of the surrounding ground. And uh, this information from the levels of vibration of uh, the ground is, in a way, is helping us in a way to determine how significant, how strong was this interaction between soil and structure. Wow, that's amazing. I'm looking forward to, uh, to seeing more of the, the results from this study come out as you're, as you're analyzing your, your data. Do you think this is going to um, help other bridge owners be convinced that this is something that uh, they should uh, encourage you and your team to do in, in a, on, on their structures? Or um, is that kind of where this is going? Yes, absolutely. You know, I'm, um, you know, I'm um, very much looking into practical benefits of uh, what we have done. Is uh, if we would speak about um, where the completion of our work is going to be, it is, uh, it is going to be in in terms of providing some very practical uh, um, conclusions regarding is the significance of, of dynamic soil structure interaction. We know again from some other studies, the most of them theoretical studies, that we actually have in most cases, you may say positive benefits of uh, uh, this dynamic soil structure interaction, that because of that, uh, the uh, structures under extreme loads like earthquake typically behave better than what assume that these structures are sitting on a rigid base and that is what the most of the structures are being analyzed we are assuming that they are sitting on a rigid base 
So we hope that uh, by uh, 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 showing the results of our numerical parametric studies, by showing how we have matched the results we have in the field with our model and comparing those results with uh, the assumption that we had that bridge on a rigid base, that, you know, we can, uh, um, whether we are doing uh, some uh, savings by, uh, let's say, uh, taking into, co into consideration those effects and maybe some of the elements uh, a little bit smaller, or whether we are simply saying is, well, you know what, we can be even more comfortable about what we have designed because there will likely be a reserve, a reserve in uh, our uh, factor of safety as a result of that interaction. Excellent. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to uh, seeing where your research uh, takes you. And, and I think this is going to be a really exciting uh, way to use one of the uh, you know, excellent resources at NERI going forward and, and looking forward to uh, getting some more awards coming your way to do do more projects with other other bridge owners and other structures. Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, we are very much looking uh, for some other ways on how some of these amazing resources at NERI can be used in maybe initially not intended or not envisioned applications, like, for example, these shakers, initially designed for technical applications, but um, I think that they might find uh, quite an important role in how we are assessing or exploring some of our other structures. And as I said, as you know, we have concentrated in this case for demonstration. We probably can think about the ways how to assess a number of different structures. Excellent. Well, I think uh, this is a, this is a perfect way to, to end this interview off. And uh, before we go, I wanted to uh, ask you one final question we always ask about, um, because everybody has a story with a, a natural hazard, whether it's something you experienced directly or, or have uh, done research on. Um, do you have a story that you can share with a, an experience with a hazard? about hazard well um, um, as I have mentioned this probably in the, the past 20 years is I would say is that probably our hazards were primarily related to our valuations on uh, on bridges and if I would describe in, in terms of hazards yes those were in part related to hazards uh, uh, coming from uh, the nearby passing traffic on part, let's say, as we were doing some evaluations on, um, on uh, other structural components um, where we had to use some of those bucket trucks um, or snoopers. Oh, wow. I, uh, I would say probably the hazards were more related to those deployment technologies. Interesting. So a little bit less, uh, you know, experiences with, uh, you know, hurricanes and earthquakes and things, but more kind of uh, man-made uh, on-the-job hazard kind of things. <laughs> uh, that is uh, that is correct. Yes, more with man-made. Yes. So probably some of our 
of my colleagues, yes, they were involved in uh, in hazards. Uh, probably for us in New Jersey, the biggest hazard was uh, Storm Sandy in 2012. And some of my colleagues, yes, they have spent quite a lot of time on uh, the shoreline. Um, what you may say, documenting the damage uh, as a result of that storm. Hmm. Where, where were you during uh, uh, Hurricane Sandy? Uh, excuse me, what I was doing? Yeah, oh, where, where you were you? My what colleagues? was your experience with that storm? Well, personally, yes. Like many others in uh, New Jersey, yes, we stayed for a number of days without power, with a lot of damage in our yards, fallen, fallen trees. Um, so uh, that was, uh, but I would say is comparing to the most others, I would say this was for me, I would describe just as a, a, a inconvenience and some expense, I, um, I would say, which is nothing in comparison to a number of people who have um, along the show who have lost their homes, their property and um, uh, who had really um, whose lives were changed by uh, by the event. Yeah, absolutely. It was a just a monumental storm. I, I was living in Connecticut when it hit, and um, we didn't nearly get the worst of it, but um, we still had trees down, and uh, I think our one of our neighbors had a big oak tree fall on top of their house, and their son got a concussion. It was <laughs> yeah, you know, such a huge storm. Yes, uh, yes, it was uh, absolutely. And um, it seems that, you know, uh, I would say for some people, I would say they still haven't uh, fully put their lives back, that still they are dealing with issues of uh, fully restoring uh, their homes and so on. Absolutely. Well, th- where can folks go to uh, to hear more about your research that you and your team are doing um, as we as we wrap up here? What uh, what can we point them to in terms of resources? Well, in, um, probably what I would suggest um, uh, is to go to the website of uh, Kate. Kate stands for Center for Advanced Infrastructure and Transportation. This is the center which is affiliated with our department. Um, I think they are providing plenty of information about um, what we have discussed today, but also about a number of uh, other resources which are available at Rutgers University, especially those which are related to uh, transportation and and infrastructure. Excellent. We'll be sure to put a link to that in our our page for the show and, and point people over there. Thank you so much for your time today, Nina. This has been really interesting. Uh, I've been really looking forward to hearing more about how you and your team have used uh, the shaker trucks and uh, all the rest of your research. So thank you so much uh, for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. I, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to, uh, to, to speak about some of the work being done here. Well, take care and, and good luck with uh, digging out of the rest of the snow pile. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Design Safe Radio. This show is sponsored by the National Science Foundation and NARI. You can subscribe to Design Safe Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please leave us a review so we can improve the show. Please also help others find our episodes on iTunes. Thanks for your feedback and your support. 
You can find out more about Nary at designsafe-ci.org, on Facebook at Design Safe Radio, or on Twitter at Nary Design Safe. Next time on Design Safe Radio, we explore the societal impact of wind engineering. What drives our decisions when building a home? What responsibility do we have when we decide to build next to other people? We'll answer these questions and more with Dr. David Pravat from the University of Florida. Thanks for listening.